Cabernet tends to be the sort of Errol Flynn of the great varieties. The most expensive beer in history. People will turn around to me and say, oh, I'm just making gin while I wait for my whiskey to get ready. Because wine is an adventure. Conventional winemakers who just condemn all natural wine as faulty. The prestigious title of Saki Samurai. Looking at whiskey in more of an artful culinary way. They kind of look at it as a novelty more than anything. The guy from the rock bands is making wine. This is the Drinks Adventures podcast. I'm James Atkinson, and this is the show where I speak to some of the world's most exciting producers of beer, wine and spirits and uncover trends and issues in the drinks industry today. Last year, I brought you the story that a company with a somewhat controversial history, McLaren Vale Distillery, was on the cusp of launching its debut single malt whiskies. That is, those of you who get the Drinks Adventures newsletter would have seen that story. The news about the whisky came accompanied with the revelation that there'd been an ownership change at McLaren Vale Distillery earlier in the year. Jock Harvey of Chalk Hill Winery in McLaren Vale confirmed that he'd taken full control of the distillery, which he originally co-founded with John Rochford in 2014. The split happened after John founded Rochford Distillery, another brand, but that's actually since gone into liquidation and is the subject of a legal dispute, which you can read all about on the website too. I'll link to that article in the show notes. Jock is with us in this episode to tell you everything you need to know about the McLaren Vale whiskies, which will mostly be matured in locally sourced red wine and fortified wine casks. And lastly, before we get into the interview, I hope you're having a happy new year. I'm delighted to be back with you in 2021 for season eight of the podcast, which will get underway right after this. What I love about Australian craft spirits is that our distillers are truly free to experiment. We aren't governed by rules and traditions. That's why the flavour and character of Australian spirits is so unique. But it takes distilling prowess and another critical ingredient to bring these products to market. And that ingredient is Bintani. Bintani supplies distillers with malts of all colours, flavours and aromas. They have a leading range of yeast and other ingredients and the professional expertise to help distillers create the spirits of their dreams. Make Bintani your partner in taste and quality. Jock, it's great to have you on the show and you must be excited that you've got some whiskey you can share with people now. Thanks, James. Good to hear from you again as well. Yeah, it's, it's been great. We've, uh, we took some of the red wine casks that were we decided were going to be the house style of the distillery and uh, put them into some wet musket cask. Actually grow musket grapes here in McLaren Vale and make a, a fortified musket. So the whiskey that, in fairness, probably had a little bit of dryness from the red wine casks uh, married up beautifully with that musket. And uh, and that style of whiskey is is very popular. That's uh, It's got some beautiful fruit sweetness, some Christmas pudding, some of those marmalade notes. And then for our single barrel release, we chose a Dutch key cask and um, the it had been previously used for a tawny port, um, which had been in barrel for 22 years. And there was a little bit of confusion on social media that the I was making an age statement. Uh, that wasn't the case. It was simply celebrating the history of the barrels which I think is a unique Australian proposition. We have this incredible access to barrels. And I've said before that whiskey preserves the Australian wine history and also gives us some of the best flavours in the world. So 
Uh, very happy to release both the Mr. Reek's musket cask and the Dutch Key uh, single malt, single cask whiskey. Tell us a bit about what you've got in your barrel store there. Is it the same mash that you're maturing in all of those barrels? Uh, essentially, um, 90% of it is the same mash. We do have some uh, peated whiskey as well and also use some different grains in the mashing process as well. So, uh, you know, some chocolate malters and, and other grains. I still think for the whiskey enthusiasts, the difference that they can find and enjoy the most is the different casks that we're using. And I think that's where McLaren Vale Distillery will find its place in the market is the connection to the wine industry and our access to wine barrels, particularly fortified wine barrels from not just McLaren Vale, but the Barossa Valley and Rutherglen and where we have connections around the place. You are using local barley, though, from memory? That's correct. South Australian grain and we've, um, we also use some Wollonga barley. Well, Wollonga's part of McLaren Vale, but my mate Jock Bosworth um, is an organic grower down here and Gaffney Road, he put in a uh, paddock full of barley. He makes uh, beer from it, and we also use some of that malted malted barley to make whiskey. So he's very excited about it. I've explained to him that his talents are neither in the growing or the beer making, and uh, it's, a, it's a good bit of local banter. So there is the prospect of making an even more localised expression of McLaren Vale whiskey then? Yeah, most certainly. The, uh, the Sheriff family have been farming the paddocks around McLaren Vale particularly the coastal plains for uh, over 100 years. And they're, they're actually great growers and they hit malting regularly. So, you know, we're working with them to use a sizable amount of local barley. A common criticism you may have heard about Australian whisky is that it's wood dominant. It tastes more of the cask that it's been matured in than the underlying grain itself. This is whisky expert Andrew Durbidge speaking back in season two. Some of this whisky that was only two years old had been matured in small barrels that had been cooked out in the sun. It was very, very wood-driven and it was very hot. And a few people were saying, well, it's great that we've got so many distilleries. It's great that there's a profile out there, but it's not all that fantastic to drink some of all this. And it would be nicer if some distilleries maybe kept their head down below the parapet for a bit longer, let their stock get to greater ages and bottle it when it was a bit more mature. But Jock Harvey says he's been very mindful of these issues in crafting the McLaren Vale whiskies, I'd agree entirely. And I think um, coming from the wine industry where we've seen trends of oak and uh, just indulge me for a minute, we've seen Chardonnay in the late 80s go into American oak and come out buttery brown, uh, then move to a, an unwooded style and then move it back to a slightly French oak style. So we've seen that style change. And I certainly think that Australian whiskey has to be very careful that the producers don't think that the darker it is, the better it is. And I make no apologies for the first release of a, uh, the musket cask. It does have some oak character to it or some significant oak character. I think is that when Australian whiskey makers in general, not some of the older, more mature whiskey makers, but the younger whiskey makers feel more confident in their dis, uh, distillation and their mashing in, they'll actually see the malt and celebrate the malt, not just the oak character of the cask. And you might be aware I had an independent assessment of all of the whiskies uh, some six months ago, and, and that was a comment. Someone actually said, thank God we can taste some malt in this whiskey, rather than just speaking completely transparently, just ethanol and oak 
and the precursor in the barrel. And I think as a whisky industry, Australia has to be very careful that it doesn't over-celebrate its access to barrels and simply produce a dark and oaky whisky that um, doesn't actually allow the malt to shine through. Now, you're obviously part of a renowned McLaren Vale family-owned winery, but I seem to recall you telling me you had some experience in brewing as well. When I was working in the United States, I, uh, I worked in um, microbreweries across America and that was, uh, I was only a young pup in those days, and uh, but a lot of fun. And the trends in America often translate to Australia some years later, but we saw the growth of microbreweries in America then that was replicated in Australia. Um, we've seen the growth of distillation in America and we're seeing that replicated in Australia as well. So, yeah, the thankfully, well, the, there are some trends in America in some of the weirder brewing that I'm not a big fan of. Introducing things like Britannomyces into a beer is popular amongst some beer producers. Uh, in the wine industry, we fight to keep that out of our wineries. So there are some things we don't actually want that are in modern brewing. I assume that you've been a whisky enthusiast in parallel with your winemaking career? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, my grandparents on both sides were whisky drinkers. One was a Methodist who drink a small amount and the other was uh, less strict with his uh, imbibing. And um, no, it was good. You know, many people in Australia actually were big brandy drinkers until the excise became basically wiped out the brandy industry in Australia. So while we don't have a long-celebrated whisky industry, we have a very much celebrated brandy industry and a fortification industry. And um, there are some great brandies that we're going to see on the market. I'm happy to say that I tasted some of their Angove's new releases the other day. And, you know, people like Angove's are a really cornerstone of Australian distillation. And, you know, the Angove's are my neighbours. They're lovely people, but they've also made world-class brandy for a long time and I think we'll see a bit of a change around and, um, you know, brandy will again be celebrated in Australia. And I believe they've got some whiskey in the pipeline too. Are you going to flip that on its head and make some brandy? It's interesting. I, I distilled some spirit and put it in a musket cask and have made uh, what could easily be described as an eau de vie. And at our barrel owner's luncheon, we tasted some eau de vie and while I was working in France, it was popular over there to put cognac with Schweppes tonic. And, um, but we had, it was a warm day, so we had eau de vie with soda water. And it was actually a very refreshing drink. And I think exploring the distillation industry or exploring what we can do, and, you know, the wine industry for a long time has uh, distilled, you know, maybe some bad wine through to, to spirit, to use it for fortification for the next season or for products such as eau de vie or grappa. So I think there's a lot of potential in the, in the Australian industry as it matures. You did have some barrel investors that were involved in the distillery from the outset. Have they been able to get their hands on some of the matured stock? Yeah, that's right. So at the, we had a barrel owner's luncheon on Sunday and we had um, almost 60 barrel owners uh, and their partners come down and have lunch and and look at their whiskies, and um, yeah, they were thrilled. I mean, it's been a long journey. Some of them started investing in 2016. Some of them, in I take responsibility that sometimes the communication hasn't been the best because of reasons, and it was great to see them. Uh, they're delighted to see that whiskey come out of barrel and to, to have a taste. And 
It's now a process of selecting casking where we're double casking those whiskies to use either uh, musket cask. Uh, we've got a number of port casks and we have some Peter Jimenez casks that are coming out of the Barossa Valley, which uh, which we're very excited about. We've been been waiting on these casks for a while and for a lot of people, they uh, want to wait for the Pedro casks. So it'll be 100% Australian wine casks that you're going to be working with? Yeah, I do work with... Um, uh, you know, people that bring in bourbon casks and uh, also have sherry casks from McWilliams that have been offered. But at this stage, I'm working with Australian fortified casks and um, and getting good results. You made a comment earlier about over, you know, over-oaking whiskey. I agree that that has happened and it's very easy. You have to manage your bond store more like a Japanese or a Taiwanese distillery than, than a Scottish distillery. Our climate is such that in a short number of weeks, all months, you know, those barrels need to be looked at regularly and they need to be pulled out and put into something perhaps less aggressive or less tasty. And your barrel management is critical. It's not a matter of filling a barrel and putting it away and, you know, waiting a couple of years and having a look at it. Uh, barrel management is much like the wine industry where we need to regularly look at our barrels, check for faults, you know, top up, rack. And that's why I think the wine industry is a great training ground for distillation. With everything that's happened in the business over the last few years, have you managed to keep distillation pretty constant just so that you're going to have consistent supply? No, there was a hiatus for a period and um, you know, that's obviously going to cause a, a little bit of a stretch in supply. But on the other hand, you know, it's been a, a good period for reflection. It's been a good period to, to decide to uh, carry on and actually amplify the business. And I think, um, I think we're in a good position as well. There's been a lot of support. A lot of support for McLaren Vale Distillery before and since the launch, and um, I think it's well placed at the moment. The packaging looks really smart. Is that something you put a lot of thought and effort into? Well, the packaging was done by Voice in Adelaide. Um, a couple of young blokes that are extremely passionate about the drinks business. They do a lot of wine work, and they love the opportunity to work with whiskey. It's fair to say that the packaging was designed around a slightly higher bottle price. So as a ratio of packaging to retail price, the packaging is a little bit uh, expensive. However, when the product goes into Asia, that's where that packaging is critically important. And uh, we've just reached uh, agreement on uh, exporting the spirit. And in the Asian markets, that's the packaging is something that really stands out and uh, is critical. So when the whiskey goes to Japan and China, Taiwan and Singapore, it really needs to be at that world-class standard. And I think the guys from Voice have achieved that. The first two products that you've got for sale, they both call out the name of the winery that supplied the barrel. Is that something you expect to continue? Yeah, that's that's the intention. Is The intention is to celebrate the winery, but also to offer, where it's available, the precursing spirit. So the musket release was a McLaren Vale Distillery musket, but a Mr. Rick Shiraz cask. The Dutchkey cask, there is uh, tawny available, but in the pre-Christmas period, I didn't have a chance to organise with Wayne, um, you know, Dutchkey musket to go with it. As we move into the next release, the winery, which I can't announce just yet, is a maker of Fortified, and they're very excited uh, they're just trying to work out some packaging and um, and how it fits in. But to tie up the winery with the drink that was in the barrel beforehand and then the finished whiskey, 
has always been an intention of the distillery. And again, my connections in the wine industry allow me to do that. And what we actually did see is um, a large number of people contacted Ben Riggs from Mr. Riggs and said, I didn't realise you were making whiskey. That's fantastic. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not. But um, so he actually got quite a kick along with, uh, with the product. And, and that was always something that we expected. But we were surprised by how many people thought that Mr. Riggs and, uh, you know, had been making whiskey. Well, it's completely unintentional, actually, but this interview flows on nicely from our last episode last year when we had Ben Riggs and Ricky Ponting on the show talking about their new venture, Ponting Wines. Yeah. Uh, look, that that's a great project because, um, you know, Ricky was laughing. I, I met him with Ben and uh, he was laughing that if his mates could, could see him now as that, uh, you know, that Tasmanian larrikin, you know, swanning around drinking wine, you know, eating cheese and olives, that'd, uh, that'd give him a hard time. But, you know, I, I congratulate them on that partnership because, you know, Ricky's profile, not only in Australia but in India, you know, really helps drive, you know, Australian product to, to markets that are, that are relatively new. So um, I think Matt Hayden's foray into whiskey wasn't quite as uh, celebrated as uh, Ricky's into wine. Oh, I pride myself on knowing these things, but I must admit that one passed me by. I think um, I think Matt Hayden was one of the celebrated Nant investors in the early days. Ah, oh dear. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the health of the Australian whisky scene generally? No, I'm I'm cautious. I think I think what you're going to see is in the next ten years. I think you're going to see the evolution of a two-speed industry. I think by two-speed, I mean those that are producing around a million litres a year. And there's about five or six of them that are that do have growth. And just look at Archie Rose as an example. And then the other side of the industry will be the smaller producers. And the smaller producers are still important in terms of craft and, and tourism and the story. But what may well happen is the economies of scale for the bigger distillers is going to put pressure on the smaller distillers. And that's that's okay. That's the nature of the wine industry that I'm in as well. You know, as long as the small distillers uh, produce a good product and their story is good and their packaging is good, I think the whiskey industries, uh, like all distilled industries, have to be very careful with their quality control because they're making a product that, if they're not careful, can be poisonous and can also have detrimental health effects. You know, we have to be responsible. It's a, it's a good industry, but the wine industry for a long time, and beer, to be fair as well, have worked on quality control and making sure that we're a lifestyle drink and we're we're not something that we're very responsible in how we promote it. I think what's also an interesting perspective on the whiskey industry is gin seems to be, in some cases, the beverage that drives capital into the whiskey industry. And I think we have to be careful that the gin bubble doesn't burst and leave the trail of damage behind it. But the industry self-regulate and uh, there's still a lot of spirit getting imported from overseas. It would be nice to replace imported whiskies and gins and vodkas with Australian-made product. And I think that's what we should strive for. Do you see yourself reaching a point where you've got a core range that will be continuously available throughout the year? Look, I've been very conscious. I spoke to a number of peers in the industry about what they thought was a sustainable price for Australian whiskey and I peeled back the pricing on the musket cast 
to $145 at 55%. I think that represents good value and a sustainable price as well. I feel that the style of McLaren Vale Distillery, a musket cask, will be core range. It's been extremely popular with people. Some whiskey drinkers have thought that it's maybe a little sweet, but I'm not aiming that product at the absolute connoisseur, trying to make it an approachable whiskey, which is of extremely high quality, and and I feel confident that I've hit that mark. And then above that will be the single cast release, which people can follow. And the nature of whiskey is that, you know, some people will love it, some people will, will prefer something else. And I think that's one of the great things I say to people, you need six bottles open at any one time so you can go back to your favourites and keep trying new whiskies. And also have those bottles that when your friends come around, you don't give them your best stuff, you know, very much a mood drink as well. And uh, I had a friend bemoan that his wife was pouring the Dutch cast to uh, some people on Christmas Day and uh, it was a record that she was pouring $40 shots at a time and I, uh, I encouraged her to do that because it was... Uh... <laughs> but I, look, I think um, I'm not trying to make a consistent Johnny Walker. I, what I'd like to do is keep producing things that are interesting, that have a genuine story behind them and have a connection to the Australian wine industry. And um, I was approached the other day by a distillery and they asked about musket casts. I said, I'm happy to give them a couple of casts to try. I think the cooperation in the industry is pretty good as well. People have been very kind to me with their advice and I've tried to reciprocate that with sourcing barrels for them and, uh, and being cooperative as well. I think that's a very important way forward for the industry. So the two products that you've got on the market will continue in some form, but the name of the winery on the label might change depending on the barrels you manage to source. Yeah, that's the case. And, um, you know, got some very old tawny port that I'm flipping out uh, next week when it cools off a little bit, and I'll be double casking some, some whiskey into the port cask. Again, making sure that it uh, still can taste malt behind it. I don't want it to taste like Shivers Regal in a port cask. You know, I I want it to taste of malt and to be complex and interesting. So, yeah, that's the nature of McLaren Vale Distillery. Chalk Hill Wines and Never Never Distilling have got a pretty impressive new cellar door in McLaren Vale, I believe. Will people be able to visit McLaren Vale Distillery at some point in the future? Exactly. McLaren Vale Distillery does have a cellar door. We're, we're closed at the moment, largely because of uh, my limitation with time and the fact that we've sort of just come through the Christmas period. It's of no surprise to you that I'm, I'm principally in the wine industry and we've got grapes that we're going to start to pick in the next week or so and that will occupy a bit of my time. I don't want to be half-assed about opening a cellar door and also have to make sure that the the offering is what people expect. And I think in McLaren Vale, people expect now to book in for a tasting with COVID, which is helpful. You can manage your numbers. They also are comfortable to pay for a tasting. So we hope to oversell it all more regularly in the future. But at this stage, after the, the amount of effort to clean up and get ready for the barrel owner's lunch, I uh, don't fancy doing that every Saturday for a Sunday. And before I let you go, how is Vintage 2021 looking in McLaren Vale? It's looking really good. It's up on the last couple of years. We've had a nice wet winter in 2020. We've got good canopy and we've had an extended veraison period with a high background humidity. And I know that sounds a little bit like a weatherman, but 
Uh, we haven't had harsh hot winds. Uh, it is warm over the weekend, but the vines are in a really good position. So, you know, we're looking forward to a really solid year. You know, good crops are good for growers. They're good for wineries. And uh, despite the challenges of China, you know, the industry's in a pretty strong position. Well, congratulations, Jock, on the launch of the whiskies. I look forward to tasting them and hearing more about the venture in due course. Thanks, James. I appreciate your interest in the project. The Drinks Adventures podcast is produced by me, James Atkinson, with additional production and mixing by Dave Robertson. You can find complete transcripts, links, and other information on the show at drinksadventures.com.au. You can follow me on all social media platforms at by James Atkinson. Like my Facebook page, James Atkinson Drinks Adventures, to be kept informed of podcast giveaways and other news about the show. The Drinks Adventures podcast needs your support as listeners. Please do us a favour and leave an honest review and rating for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. We love hearing your feedback and it helps inform other people this is a show worth listening to. Or simply drop us a line at hello at drinksadventures.com.au.